listen, I'm gonna jump in there because I can't. I think when we were doing our our planning meeting, I was really pushing. I want to know about members' rights. <laughs> okay. I want to. What rights do members have when they sit in the pew? You know, and we yes. we went all around. And today, I think we're gonna. It, it might be a shotgun kind of situation where we're gonna hit a lot of areas. But hopefully it will give our members, our viewers, an opportunity to kind of get a sense of what it takes to be a member here in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay. I got to stop. I'm, I'm so glad we had somebody from Orlando. I was seeing all these Tennessee folk, all these South Central and Kentucky, Tennessee folk. Good to see somebody in the South, somebody, well, further South, Orlando, Florida in the house. Greetings, Edna. Um, if you're from Florida, we want some shout outs from some Florida. Is that okay, Dion? Can we ask for that? Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's see who's in the house from Florida. Yes, indeed. Indeed, indeed. Um, well, good. Okay, so that's what's on the table, gentlemen. Dion, who's at the table today, Doc? Ooh, listen, we have, again, uh, some excellent guests. Every week, we've been just having guests who have knowledge and, and understanding of uh, where we are as a church and where we want to go, and, of course, knowledge of the topic. So first, we have Kristen Josiah. Josiah, he is the secretary of the Central States Conference. He is an advocate for change. Um, I had the privilege of working with Pastor Josiah, and I'm telling you, not only is he knowledgeable about the Constitution, passionate about ministry, he's also passionate about people. And so we praise God for his presence today. And then we have, wow, we have somebody from the General Conference. We're, we're dealing with law again. Wait a minute. Last week we had a lawyer. This week we you have a lawyer. Notice how the music What's just got more dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> we have Karnik D. I'll let him pronounce it. Well, last name, Karnik D. <laughs> he is the general counsel, uh, part of the general counsel of the general conference and the North American division. And so I tell you, if you have a question, by the way, if you're out there, you're listening, you have a question, this is your time to this put your it. question in the chat. We have people that not only look at the book, they they actually execute the book. <laughs> so wow, wow, wow. Please put your, put your questions in the chat, and I think we're going to have a good time All today. All right, I'm going to bring them on now. Here they are. We have Kristen Josiah, the Kristen Josiah, Kristen Josiah, and Karnik Duke. Metzian. Did I say it right? You got it. All right. You got it. Metzian. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we are so excited to have you gentlemen with us today. Thank you so much um, for coming. I know we've been trying to get you guys for some time. We're glad that it finally worked out today. And um, we know we didn't give your full bio and tell every, everybody everything about you. So uh, we're going to give you just a, a, a few seconds here to just um, expound just a little bit, share just with our audience a little bit more about yourself, what you're doing, where you are. Um, I don't know, whatever you want to say. We'll start with... Uh, with Pastor Josiah, um, I'm going to give you because you're the preacher in the group. I'm going to give you four. I'm going to give you how much time should I give him? I'm going to give him 40.7 seconds. All right, 40.7 seconds. In the old <laughs> Whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, the time is yours, Doc. Well, man, I just want to thank you all for allowing me to come on uh, this popular television internet. Um, Dion and Aston, you guys have known me since seminary, so I'm not a stranger to these brothers. And Rogers know me as a baby. You know, our families go back wow. before we were born. 
Um, that's how far back we go. But um, I serve as the vice president for administration for Central States. And Dion said it, man. I love, I love the work. I love ministry. Uh, I love people. Um, and again, just glad to be here that I can share with um, gems that I can share. I know I'm going to get into trouble because uh, I'm one of those who good trouble, have good always trouble. good trouble. I've always uh, tried to push back to the of the Bible uh, and not so much tradition. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Karnik and, and I'll take my blows later on when they come through. <laughs> All right. Karnik, we, we're going to give awesome. you, we'll, we'll give you a minute and a half because we don't, we know you don't preach like us preachers. So, so we'll give you the time and uh, whatever you want to say, the time is yours. You know, the problem is, as a lawyer, I get paid by the word. So I'm glad you've given me a minute and a half. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> well, listen, it's a pleasure to be with you this Sabbath afternoon. Um, it's not often I get to be on these kinds of programs. And, you know, our world has been turned upside down with uh, with COVID. And so we're doing a lot of meetings by, uh, by Zoom. Uh, being at the general conference, normally I'm on an airplane somewhere. But uh, the last year and a half or so, we've been stuck at home, but still getting to meet uh, uh, the work around the world. Uh, I've been general counsel for the General Conference and North America for, boy, 12 years now. Uh, before that, I was with Adventist Risk Management as a vice president. And about a month and a half ago, um, in a weak moment, the uh, officers and board of Adventist <laughs> Risk Management <laughs> Uh, asked me to serve as president in addition to my current roles. So I'm double timing and, uh, and and trying to enjoy life at the same time, but it's very difficult. Um, it's a pleasure again to, uh, to be with you all this afternoon. Oh, wow. Well, we are delighted to have you both. We're going to go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask, uh, uh, I don't know who was slated to do it. I'm not following my sheet. Um, who's got the prayer? Watch him say I guess me. I do, and I guess I, do, I begin. Let, let, let's begin. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. We thank you for the medium you have given to us. We pray for the, over the technology, Lord. We pray for our guests. We pray for our viewers. We pray, Lord, that what is shared here today will bring glory to your name. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 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 Elder Josiah, you mentioned our our connection as kids. I want you to know our mothers are in the chat right now. So wow. I oh, guess man. we gotta play it, we gotta play it right. We gotta play it right. <laughs> but listen, guys, we are just so excited to talk about this. Last week, we uh, actually be, uh, had this conversation about constituencies, um, particularly whether it was at the conference level or it was at the gen, uh, union level or at the general conference level. Um, but we also kind of spread it out into the business meeting, um, board meetings. And so the question came up, the question came up, who or what defines and governs members' rights at board meetings, business meetings, and constituency meetings? Who or what defines Governor, uh, and governs members' rights. Uh, Pastor Josiah, you want to jump in first on that? Okay. Um, well, I give an easy, I give a, a simple and easy answer. Membership. Membership. When you are a member 
um, in the middle, I think page 35 or 36, it says regular standing. Um, it means that you have rights. Uh, and so your membership determines, you know, you being able to vote in your church's business meeting. Uh, you're a member, you know, you're, you're, um, you can also become a delegate for your constituency meeting um, where you can weigh in on, you know, on the leadership uh, of the conference. Somebody mentioned the Constitution and Bylaws Committee being the most powerful committee. I don't know. I would say the executive committee, which is the governing body of, of the entity, might might be that. But you also have eligible, you know, eligibility to be, a, you know, an executive committee member of your local uh conference or uh, even a constituent at your union session. Uh, um, and so, uh, yeah, in a, in a nutshell, if you are a member, you know, you don't have to, to sit back and quote unquote, take it. You know, if you're a member and you have, you know, um, issues or concerns, you know, you can raise those concerns about at, at every level. Um, but you got to be a member. You can't, you can't leave the church part. I'm not, you know, I'm not a member and then expect to be able to impact change. Uh, you got to hang on in there. And so I think membership is a short answer for me. Okay. So, so Kristen, for the, for the past two weeks, I've been telling folk that, that membership have, as members, you have rights that as a member, you know, you have a right to, and does that, does that cover things like you have a right to, to be on time for Sabbath school? You have a right to, to not bring bad food to the potluck. You have some, some rights. <laughs> I'm just being silly. Don't mind me. Um, um, go ahead, Raj. I'm sorry. I just... No, no, no. I, uh, you know, I, I thought you were going to go with something strong in that, but we'll get back to that in a minute. I, yeah. But, Chronic, uh, you have anything to add to what uh, Pastor Josiah shared? Uh, yeah. Actually, you know, membership is not a right. It's a privilege. Mm. And I, I, I cannot, of my own accord, say I'm now a member of uh, Pastor Dion's church. If you recall back of how that process works, uh, whether it is by baptism or a profession of faith, the membership of a local church does something when that event occurs. They all raise their hands and say, we welcome you into membership. So there's a positive action that is taken, and they make me a member. I can't make myself a member of that organization, of that church. So there has to be a positive action that's taken. Right. Now, once I'm a member, I have certain rights and privileges as a member. But at the same time, the group that put me into that position of membership also has rights and privileges to which we have all agreed to abide by. So there are conditions and there are procedures that have to be followed and that I have to follow as part of my condition of being a member. Hmm. So, so gentlemen, is there one thing, is there one thing that governs that those rights? Is it, uh, let me throw that out. I'm, I'm a preacher. Is it the Bible only? Is it the church manual? Is it, is it some other booklet or some other set of rules? Uh, you know, is there something that, where can I go as a member to find out what my rights are? Well, the, the church manual is really a, a book of rules for church governance. It outlines how church service is to occur. It outlines um, the relationship between a local church and the conference the guiding principles and standards uh, and practices that uh, one should uh, should abide by. 
And to me, one of the key aspects of the church manual for an individual is the disciplinary, disciplinary section. A lot of the questions that I get from pastors uh, when they call me is, I have a problem with a member. He's doing this or he's doing that or she's doing this, she's doing that. What rights do I have as a pastor or a church to deal with that individual? Can I discipline them? What process do I need to follow? And all of that is outlined in the church manual. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Um, Very the true. church manual, are these just a list of suggested suggestions this is a suggested document on the way that we should govern the church or do we have to abide by every letter in this church manual well they're they're guiding principles and and, and the seventh Adventist church places such uh, such importance on the church manual that the only place the church manual is able to be amended or changed is at a general conference session working policy whether it's for the conference, the union, or the division, or the general conference, can be changed by the executive committee. But the church manual, along with the doctrines, the 28 fundamental beliefs, can only be changed by a general conference in session. That's the importance that we place on this little book called the Seventh Avenue Church Manual. Okay, I'm, I'm a little slow, guys, and I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm the slow one in the bunch. So, um, Karnick, you said that there, is, there was something that could be changed by somebody else. Other, who, who was that? You said something by an executive body. What was it that could be changed again by, by them? Well, let me take, for example, the North American Division. The North American Division has a working policy that outlines the relationship between the conference and the union and the division that uh, lays some of the rules of how we operate as a denomination in this North American territory. That working policy is amended by the North American Division Executive Committee at the time of their annual meeting, usually in the fall. However, the church manual, which is a little booklet that outlines the the guidelines, the, the book of processes for the local church, is only changed at a general conference session. Okay. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, I was I was going to add something, uh, Pastor Paul, if that's okay. Yes. Um, guide. Uh, Karnick used a term called guiding principles. Guiding principles. Some people focus on the word principles. Some of us focus on the word guiding. <laughs> and so, and so, if, if you if you dig deep into the manual. I know there's some topics that, that we, we might be going ahead of ourselves. Let me know and I'll pull back. But, but there are topics such as, you know, the order of service. There are topics such as, I'm reading here off of page 180, regarding any melody partaking of jazz. You know, so if you're a musician like myself, you know that jazz came out of gospel, not gospel, you know, coming out of, yeah, so 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 there's some cultural nuances. That's why I focus on the word guiding. You know, even though some use the word, you know, focus on the word principles. They're not necessarily suggestions. I know Dr. Dion wants to get me in trouble, but I'm not gonna get in trouble today. Um they are they are they are guiding principles, but if you understand how as as Elder Karnick mentioned they're, they're adjusted or they can be changed. Um, they can be altered. So they're not the, the Ten Commandments 
you know, they, they, they are not, you know, uh, set in stone, you know, and, and as an Adventist church, as a people of faith, you know, we believe in sola scriptura, but however, I think there, they are good, um, guiding principles. Those, those are two good words that I, that I think I'll stick with. They keep me out of hot water. <laughs> so, so, so okay, this, this is just really interesting. On, so, um, if somebody, but, but, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Ron. Move on. I know last week we had a big discussion, and it was a shocker to us that if I, as a member, I'm, I'm a member, I have membership, mm -hmm. I, I'm chosen to be a delegate to go to the the conferences constituency meeting. Once I go there, I'm not representing my local church. I don't have any rights as a local member when I get there. Um, um, do you all see it that way as, as, as leaders and lawyers? Do, can I bring up a local church issue at the conference session? Oh, I see. Well, remember, Roger, that the Seventh Avenue Church operates on the principle of a representative form of governance. In other words, correct. The, at a conference session, your, your 50,000 members of your local conference do not all, all show up at a constituency session. We send representatives from each local church to represent us as a congregation. Now, if there, if there are issues that are on the agenda, certainly individuals are free to speak to those items on the agenda. But remember that we're representing our fellow members at the local congregation. We're not there on our own to do our own agenda, to carry out our own agenda at a constituency meeting. And that goes for every level of, of church, whether it's the conference, the union, or the general conference. All of that operates on a representative basis. Uh-oh. Correct. And so if a member has an issue, very good, Karnik, if a member has an issue at the local church, the meeting that they need to be showing up for and not sleeping in is business meeting. You know, so right. so when when members get upset, and you got you pastors know you could have a member a membership of, of two hundred people, and when you have a business meeting, fifty people show up. Well, a hundred and fifty mm -hmm. people could feel disenfranchised and upset, and yeah. you know why is the church going to paint it that color, or you know why are they going in that direction? You didn't show up at the business meeting, so showing up at the the conference uh, session where there's a slate of a, where there's an agenda. And you're really doing now the business of the conference. Now you do represent your local church, but now you're doing the business of the conference. That would not be appropriate, you know, to bring up, uh, you know, local, uh, a local matter. So pe people have to recognize that those, I think Karnik said it best, the privileges, the rights and the privileges are, are things that you should be, you should really take seriously. It's funny that that same 200 member church, if that business meeting is a disciplinary action, then 300 of those 200 members are oh, going to show up for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, mercy. Everybody's coming. You know, pa Pastor Paul, when you talk about, when you, when you talk about disciplinary issues, um, that is one of the aspects of um, church business that people get interested in. But at the same time, we have to remember that the church manual provides guidance on how that is to occur and due process that needs to be followed. Uh, a lot of times we have difficulty in following the processes that are laid out, and that's where we get into trouble as a church. I wanted to say that, you know, it, courts are very deferential to churches. They do not get involved in the internal 
operations of churches, whether it's the conference, the union, or the local church. They will refrain from getting involved in issues relating to ecclesiastical issues. However, where they do get involved is when due process is not followed. Let me give you an example. You have a member that you're going to discipline. The church manual says you've got to give that member notice and tell them what the issue is all about before you call them into a business meeting. Well, if you don't follow that process, that member may have the right to challenge any decision that's made by the church business session dealing with his membership, where normally the court would not get involved because it is a church issue. Wow. So in that case, again, we're, we're falling wow. back on it is the manual that to that first question, the manual is defining that member's rights in a situation like a, a disciplinary um, context. Awesome. All right. So, Can I add? so the follow Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no I was just going to add to that. To that yeah. the, the, and the membership is so protected. I like how Karnick talked about how the membership welcomes, you know, um, and, and takes an action to bring people into membership. Likewise, let's say as a conference administrator, I've got an issue with a member at a local church. Even though I may have an administrative position, I don't have the authority to discipline that member the local church, you know, and, and that's why it's a protective and it's a, you know, you govern yourselves accordingly, you know, at the various, at the various levels. Um, so it cannot become political. Um, I cannot be mad at someone um, and, and quote unquote, affect their membership. You know, the local church uh, is the only thing that can, that can, that can do that. And so it, it, it welcomes you coming in and it actually is, it's a blessing to protect you know, those amongst uh, itself as well from, from outside political or, you know, people who have nefarious intentions. So, so Dr. Henry, if I could follow up on that, and I don't know, Karnick, go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll I was going to say, Chris, Kristen has raised a very important issue. Uh, I always give this example. No matter how badly the president of the General Conference wishes to remove me as an employee of the General Conference from church membership, he has no right to do that. That right belongs to my local congregation where I'm a member. So you're right, Kristen, there is protection for the individuals, but it's also the highest right that exists in the Adventist church, that issue of accepting or removing somebody from church membership. Okay, so great. So this Amen. is the follow-up mm. to that. What happens when a member yeah. feels like that has happened, where somebody has exercised a power that was not their right to exercise? What is their recourse? What's the member's recourse in a situation like that? Well, they felt that the conference president um, or, or the conference administration did something to, to, to make them get dis, uh, uh, um, disciplined at the local church level. What, who do they go to? Who do they talk to? What, what do they do? And, and, and there's, a, there's a quick thing, follow up to that, Anselm. Mm -hmm. Is that recourse located somewhere in this church manual? Like, can a member go to the church manual and say, because they didn't do this, the church manual says, I could do this? Hmm. Kristen, you want to no, go I mean, at it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, I, I, I would say that um, if someone feels wrong, but an action was taken, then then you have a you have a conundrum. Uh, in other words, even if there was a personal um, issue that was going on, and the the church members for whatever reason sided with the person that brought the accusation, et cetera, 
uh, and when uh, when when everything was processed, when when I guess hopefully now now here's here's the issue: if there was not due process and a vote took place, they may have a as Carter would say, they may have a case. But if there was due process, both sides were heard. They didn't like the outcome. I'm not sure if they if they would have any kind of other due process. But Carnick, I'll refer to the attorney. <laughs> well, I, I, there there are some other steps as well, and the answer may not be in the church manual, but the answer is in the working policy of the division. So when there is an issue that arises, a dispute between a local member and the conference, for example. The next level of recourse is the next higher organization, namely the union. And if the union does not uh, or is in a conflict or will not involve themselves, then they could go up to the next level, which is the division. So there are there are avenues. And we see that quite frequently where we get letters from individuals, organizations that have disputes with a local church, a local conference or even the union and they want to intervene. And our process is always to put it back down to the lowest level that can deal with it. And so there is recourse, but, and the process have to be, has to be followed. Mm. Okay. So, so there, there is a process in which members can go to if they feel like um, their situation has not been dealt with properly. Uh, so with this, I want to go, before I ask another question, uh, this church manual, again, I want to come back to it now. I want to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly. The church manual, these are guidelines, principles, but these are not necessarily the letter of the law. Is that what I'm understanding? It, for me, it depends. In other words, if you want to have your worship service at 2 o'clock, but the manual has a suggested 11 o'clock. There are certain things that are guidelines, but there are certain things regarding um, finance, church elections, as Karnick mentioned, mm -hmm. ministries, beliefs. There are certain things that if you fall outside of and there is an issue, the attorney for the other party will look at your church manual. And if it was not followed, as you, as it should have been, it could, it, it could be, it could, it, it could be an issue. Uh, so there are certain things that I believe are, are principles. And then there's certain things, music, worship, um, that we could even have a discussion about some of the, I think part of the manual I read, I was preparing for this, talked about cosmetics should not be worn. I'm like, that's a whole nother conversation. You need, you need a panel of sisters on, you know, more than brothers, you know, because, but again, so, so I think that there, there are principles that are there that Connick will tell you, if you go outside of, you're opening up yourself um, for, for possible litigation, but then there are other things that you can, um, you know, so well, well, Karnick, I don't know if I helped that, that, you or hurt you. I, I, I want to go, I want to go to our, uh, uh, uh but I just want to ask this question. So, I mean, you talk about cosmetics and those type of things. I mean, is the, is the church manual relevant? I mean, I, I mean, we, we know it's important to have some list of principles, suggested guidelines, but is it relevant when it pertains to contemporary issues, say, disfellowshipping because you broke the Sabbath and who knows what, what's really breaking the Sabbath or 
um, this selling, um, you know, narcotics or not, not narcotics, but you're selling alcohol, but you work at, you know, Target or a convenience store or something. I, speak to it for us. Well, you know, I, I, there, there are things, as Pastor Josiah said, there are things in the manual that deal with the order of service. Pastors can choose how they follow that or not. Um, there are things in the church manual, though, that you really have to follow, uh, church discipline being one of them. Uh, things like how we transfer individuals from one church to another. Uh, actions that the, local, that the local church board can take. Uh, can the local church board, for example, uh, remove a member from membership? The answer is no. That has to be done at a church business meeting. And so there are some things that have to be followed, and there are some things where there's some discretion based on uh, practices that individuals or congregation uh, congregations choose to, uh, to use in their local congregation. Remember that the original version of this church manual came into effect in the 1930s. And it's been modified somewhat over the years. And the, the church manual, because it is of worldwide significance and worldwide use, really has to be of such a nature that applies across the board. And our congregations in North America may be different in the way they operate than congregations in, in Africa or in Asia. So there has to be some flexibility. The church manual does make some allowance for that by allowing uh, explanatory notes at the back of the church manual or for divisions to develop their own uh, sections of the church manual uh, that apply only to their division. So there are provisions that are applicable regionally uh, for, uh, for congregations or entities to, uh, to follow. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, how about the issue of ordination? But I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Ouch. Well. But, um, but, you know, so the fact, the, fact, ahead, the fact that you brought that, the fact that you brought that up, um, could someone explain, maybe Pastor Josiah, um, a lot of us are just so confused. Um, most of our members, when they become a member of the church, that's the only level of authority of the church they know, per se, oh. or they really connect with, other than maybe general conference. There, and we have two other levels. I uh -huh. understand that our church has done a very good job in delineating which level deals with certain issues. Is, is, uh -huh. are, you, are, you, are you able to share with us what are some of the, the priorities each level has in terms of how they um, affect governance in our church mm -hmm. that's a good that's a good question um so usually at the local level um if if we go i guess every round goes higher and higher literally in our in our church you know so the the the, the local church um under the guidance of the of the pastor the local pastor you know their focus is usually on membership care um evangelism um, youth, children, young adults, uh, et cetera. Um, as you go up to the, to, the, to, the, to the conference level, and let me know if I'm answering your question correctly, we're focusing on the health of the pastor and the local church. So he's, he's focusing on the members uh, and, and being the pastor. The pastor, in, according to Paul's writings, it's really a gift. It's not really a, a hierarchical thing. It's, it's a part mm. of the gifts of the church. Uh, and if he 
pastors with it as a gift, then, you know, he's able to ingratiate himself with the members and everyone, you know, pulls their weight. Now the conference um, is making sure that the pastor is paid and um, looks out for the policies and the, um, the, the, the properties. I don't know for, for most conferences, I know our conference, you know, we hold the, the titles in trust uh, at the, at the conference office. So we make sure that the, the you know, the churches have their insurance um, and, and they are, you know, following whatever proper procedures to, to, to govern and I guess be established as a local church, a local congregation. Uh, then you get up to the union level and now they're governing our universities within their areas. They, um, they allow to, they give, they give, um, assistance to the to the local conference leadership. Uh, I know you had Dr. Morell on last week um, and he was instrumental in, in, in me being able to lead out in our constituency session. He was my direct upline, you know, and then his direct upline would be Dr. Kiyoshin Ahn, who I also had a chance to speak with, you know, and getting ready for our, our COVID-19 social distancing session. Um, and so I really appreciated the union um, uh, governance um, and, and, and how they, you know, they, they just helped to guide me uh, through that process. And of course, at the division and the general conference level, uh, we also find that strong support. I know I've uh, had a chance to uh, reach out to uh, Elder Karnick uh, in the past. Matter of fact, we voted our virtual uh, capability to have our session virtually based on the language that Karnick sent uh, to me from, from the general conference office. And so um, I don't know if that answers your question on, on who governs what, but I know as a, as a conference, we try to stay out of the local church as far as telling them, you know, quote unquote, what to do, how to have uh, Bible studies. You know, we, we let the pastor pastor. That's, that's his job. That's his role. We have to assist, you know, and I've told Dion knows it because he pastored for us. You know, we tell them we work for them. They don't work for us. Now we might write the check, but, but literally we work for them. They're at the tip of the spear. They're the ones where the, the ministry is really happening. And we try to be a supportive, you know, making sure that they have all of the, you know, the, the health care and the housing allowances and the telephone allowance and, you know, mileage and whatever it is that we need when they move, you know, take care of, you know, whatever they need. We're not one of those conferences where you find out 20 years later that you had certain rights or you had certain privileges or allowances and you didn't get it because you didn't talk to your buddy, you know, over there. Um, and, and so I don't know if that helped answer your question. I, I mean, that helps. I mean, uh, Connie, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I think we, we have to, yeah, we have to remember that there are certain functions that are reserved for each level. I said earlier that membership is uh, an issue that is dealt with only at the local com local church level. Uh, no other level of the church can deal with the individual's membership. Uh, just like uh, an individual member is welcomed into membership at a local congregation, in order for a church to come into existence, it has to be voted on by a conference. A church can't simply uh, rent a building, put up a sign that we're now an Adventist church. You can't do that. And so one of the first things, if you think back to your uh, to your constituency sessions, one of the first things that happens at a constituency session 
is to vote the churches that have been established in the past quadrennial or quinquennial. Why do we do that? Well, that is the recognition of validity for that local congregation. That's what brings them into existence as an authorized Seventh-day Adventist church. So the conference has that authority as well. The same thing with a union. A conference does not exist on its own. It can't set up itself and call itself a conference unless it's voted by a union. And the same thing at a general conference session. When a union is established, that vote is taken at a general conference session. So every level has a certain amount of authority, and one cannot exist together with, with, without the assistance of the others. You need to work together as, as different pieces to come into existence. So, for example, the issue of ordination, determining not the, not the policy of ordination, in other words, who, who can be or not be ordained, but whether or not they've met the qualifications of being ordained, that is reserved for the union. That is provided for in general conference policy. The procedures are all laid out in policy as to what considerations has, have to go into place or be considered before someone can be ordained. That is solely reserved for the union level decision. Um, we talked about the church manual being amended or changed only at a general conference session. The same thing with the uh, fundamental beliefs. The only place that that can be done is at a general conference session. So every level of church organization has certain things that are solely within their purview to deal with. And as a result, we need each other in order to function as a congregation, as a conference, as a union, or at the general conference. We need those pieces to work together in order to function as a church. Yeah, yeah. I was going to add something, if, if I may. Um, so uh, Elder Karnick brought up again the, the, the church manual, and, and Dr. Henry asked a question about relevancy. Everything that you purchase, every entity, um, I got a, I got a, was it a phone or it had a manual. It could be really small. <laughs> you, you can get something really small and it's going to have a manual. You, you buy a car um, or, or, or how, any, any little gadget. It, so, so manuals are always relevant. Now, sometimes they can be adjusted. As, as Karnick said, it is not, it's not a Bible. You know, it, it is not set in stone. It wasn't written by the finger of God like we preach about it. Uh, and so we, we just have to be willing. And I know this is something that, that, that I've done, and I'm just being transparent. When, 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 a, when a pastor gives me a call and says, man, I want to start my service at 2 p.m., even though the manual says 11, you know, if one of the things that I always explain is make sure that you have the support of your elders board, at least when I was pastoring, I would run things through my elders, take it to my board, we flush that thing out, take it to the church and business session. If the church says, hey, we're gonna have Sabbath school at 12, we're gonna have a little breakfast, and then we're gonna start church service at two o'clock, then we're good. It's outside of the manual, but he has gone through a process where more than likely, not every time, more than likely I'm not gonna get a call saying, you need to move this pastor because he just, he's not going according to the manual. He's violating, you know, um, and so, so there's a process, even when you want to do something a little different. Um, but I think for relevancy's sake, for every entity that's out there, if you have a television that you bought recently or a computer, it's going to have a manual in it. 
Uh, and, and that's just to, 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 to help guide you so you don't put, you know, diesel in your gas tank, you know? Um, and so you got to have a manual. got to have it. It's always relevant. So, sounds like there's a difference between being uh, extra manual and anti-manual. Uh, wow. <laughs> sorry, extra biblical or, or anti-biblical. All right. You know, uh, right, Pastor right, Paul, right. For, for the local pastor, this is the book they need to know. It's called yeah. the Seventh-day Adventist Church Manual. <laughs> for Pastor Josiah in the conference office, he's got a bigger problem to worry about. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. It's called the North American Division working policy, oh, and it's all of 900 and some odd pages. So, you know, That's every it. level of the church has their own policies that Absolutely. we use to abide by uh, to have some order in how we do things. Wipe your um, mouth, Dr. Henry. He, he, he's salivating at that. He, he's ready. I can tell it. <laughs> That's another show, Doc. <laughs> That's another show. <laughs> did y'all see Samuel, Samuel Williams' comment? Yes. Uh, do we give? Do we teach or give opportunities for our youth and young adults to be leaders and delegates? Do we teach them this kind of stuff? You know, I mean, this is good stuff here. Yeah, and listen, I wanted I wanted to highlight that question as well because because it's this and and and, and Pastor Josiah, um, so our, our young people. Uh, and it's hard to lump them all in a group because they're you know it's not a monolith, monolithic thing. However, there's a lot of our young people that are looking at the mission of our church on one hand. They're looking at the structure of our church on the other hand. And with the structure is the manual, are the constitution, are the bylaws, all of those things. And sometimes they're feeling like there's a disconnect between the structure and the mission. And so what we're saying is things like the manual. We just heard that the manual can't be changed except every five years at a, at a general conference session. Um, and an executive committee deals with things that are in some of those red books, the, the policy, all that. So, so they're, they're, some of them are saying, that's too much work. Peace, we're out. We're just going to check out. We're just going to go over here. And, and, and Karnik, we're going to go and start our own church. We don't care uh, if, if a conference <laughs> votes us in or not. We're just about mission. That's, that's who we are. We don't need all all of the red tape. However, there's going to be another class, uh, uh, Kristen, who were saying, okay, well, how do we go about getting those things in the manual that seem to be outdated, getting those things in the constitution and bylaws that don't, that seem to make mission harder. What's the process that we go through in order to make those changes, to make those things more relevant to the mission that we want to engage or that we feel called to engage even? Okay, so so I'll deal with the Constitution bylaws, and I'll let Carnick deal with the uh, <laughs> with the manual. Um, sure. So we have we we, we have march. A, a, do we protest? Do we, you know, what, well, that's what, what do we do? How I'll, do we get that? Done? Right, right, right. Well, I've marched and protested, so you're asking the wrong <laughs> the wrong administrator. But, uh, but 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 we have a we have a standing Constitution bylaws committee. Um, what we tried, what and well, let me say this first. We had a young adult, young lady. Um, who was the secretary for our nominating committee. And she gave the report at our session on April the 18th. That committee had young adults on it. We even had uh, Pastor Dion knows Trené, um, one, one of our young ladies, a youth, Gen Z, uh, who was a delegate. Uh, and had, we had other young Gen Zers and, of course, millennials who were delegates at our session. Um, and so we definitely engaged them. Uh, but yeah, the Constitution bylaws, you know, we, we let people know, uh, we, we sent it out to all of our, of our members, our delegates, um, and they know 
that if there are issues that they feel that need to be changed, again, I'm the kind of guy that if it if it's not uh, if it's not if it's not one of the ten, you know, it it can be adjusted because you have time changes, you have cultural changes, uh, you even have theological. There are things that I would that I used to preach twenty years ago that because I've dug a little deeper and I understand uh, the word even more and the context in which maybe Peter was writing or Paul was writing. Man, I had it wrong, you know, and I've I've admitted. You know, at times, hey, man, I, I used to preach this, but man, this was that's not what the text is trying to say, you know, uh, and you just have to be an honest pastor. And I think when you have when you have solid pastors who are willing to do ministry and fulfill the mission, you really don't get a lot of hang ups on the manual. I mean, I've been pastoring 20 something years and I've never had major meetings on the manual. I mean, they know it exists, you know, and you you always have a faithful few, you know, who, who may get on you. But um, yeah, I've never had major business meetings in my 20 years, 21 years, um, where we've had it. We just, you know, we'll bring in the great store, Jeremy Anderson and, and Jill and, you know, or we'll, we'll just, you know, have church in the park and you know, we'll, we'll do stuff because we felt like this is where the, what the spirit is leading. Now, you know, you, you have to be spirit led you know, and that's something that, that I try to let our pastors know, you know, don't just go out there willy nilly um, and then get stuck outside of the manual and you weren't prepared. Now I can't really cover you or you go outside of a policy. That's a no, no. But, um, you know, so on, on the constitution bylaws, I think young people, Gen Zers, millennials, they just got to know, you know, your pastor is that local leader or and then the conference isn't if you feel like the past is being restricted you know if he blames the conference then come to us and we'll let you know if we're really to blame or your pastor is, is not is not stepping up um now on the manual that's a little bit longer of a process so if it let me just to be clear so so if there's sure. a change that they feel like that young people feel like they want made in in the constitution, constitution and bylaws then yeah. their their thing is to go to their pastor they can go to their pastor. He can contact my, I'm the, the, so the vice president or the executive secretary serves as the chair of the Constitution Bylaws Committee. Um, and so if there's an issue, there's a concern, if there's something in there that they feel is restrictive or they want to do more or they want to, all they have to do is, matter of fact, they can contact me directly at the conference or any executive secretary or vice president. Um, and since, you know, I serve as the chair of that committee, and I, you know, I can call a meeting at any time. And we've actually met over the pandemic. We met virtually. So we were able to make some recommendations to our constitutions, to our uh, constituents, uh, so we can have virtual um, uh, meetings and, and, and you can, you know, all of those things. So, so there's a way to, to get modernized. Um, okay. And sometimes our people don't always know how? So I, I'm glad that you were asking the question. Okay, so so then very pointedly, if you if, if there's something in your in your organization's constitution and bylaws, then then contact the chair of your constitution and bylaws that's, committee. That's that's basically correct. the heart of that's it. That's it. Okay. That's and, it. And and petition them, write them, call them, write them, send an email, bring a sleeping yep. bag outside your office. Stop, stop, stop. All right. Okay. All right. But before you go down that road, though, let's let's understand what the document is that we're talking about. The constitution and bylaws of any organization, whether it's the conference 
or whether it's Exxon Corporation, it doesn't really matter. The Constitution and bylaws are simply the rules by which we have agreed to conduct our business. So in the document, you'd sure. find things like, what is the quorum requirement? Mm -hmm. How do people get elected uh, to office? Um, how to make amendments. When, when do, right, well, how to make amendments. <laughs> who gets to vote on the amendments? Who are the delegates? Right. So it's how we right. agree to function as an organization. So yes, that's right. important. And some of that impetus for change does come from the local church. Local okay. church is able to send representatives. So the best place to get started, back to your question, is at the local church board. The local uh -huh. church board is the leadership. That's the leadership group that is elected by the church in business session to run the church. That's the leadership group. That's where the decisions are made on how the local congregation operates and functions. Now, some of that same group may end up as delegates to a conference session. Uh, somebody asked the question, how do, we, uh, how do we train these young people when they come to these various levels? One of the roles that I have at the North American Division is to uh, give a seminar to new delegates who, uh, who are lay people or pastors uh, on the North American Division Committee. And we go through and talk to them about what the process is that is going to take place at the Executive Committee, what things are going to be dealt with, what the processes are. So we try to educate in that way. And the same thing for every other level new delegates are trained on the sorts of actions or activities that take place. Now, back to the question of amending uh, the church manual or the fundamental beliefs. Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, in my own Sabbath school class at Sligo Church, we were discussing uh, that uh, the uh, fundamental beliefs did not include a, a social activity function, a social action function. Um, we discussed wow. that for quite a bit. And one of our members, after discussion with the class, sent a note to the conference and then on to the various levels until it finally arrived at the uh, committee that deals with fundamental beliefs. And they discussed it and eventually ended up uh, on the executive committee and on the floor of the general conference where an amendment was made. So th there are processes. The, the general conference has uh, a standing committee on the church manual. They yeah, receive all kinds of signed, submissions. That member signed that letter, member of Karnik Dugmekian's uh, Sabbath school class. So he got Fast track, man. He got fast track. Priority mail. And I sat at the other end and looked at it. <laughs> but does, all right. but does, so does every request, does every request get a response? from the general conference dealing with doctrinal beliefs does every request get a response every response i mean every request does get a response there are committees in place there's a church manual committee that meets uh two or three times a year and reviews submissions that come through the unions or the or the divisions around the world and and takes into account for example um, at the upcoming general conference session that's now been twice postponed there are probably 40 or 50 changes coming to the church manual that have gone through this process over the last number of years. So from session to session, work is done, amendments are brought forward, and will eventually get discussed and voted on the floor of the general conference session. Which is a great segue into our next question.
Um, all right. So, and this one, this one, uh, we are running out of time here, but here we go. When a person is baptized, it is assumed that they are agreeing to adhere to church governance and doctrine. The language that is used in baptismal vow, the infamous number 11, uh, which says this for our audience, I'll read it to you. Uh, baptismal vow number 11 says this. Do you know and understand the fundamental Bible principles as taught by the Seventh-day Adventist church? And do you purpose by the grace of God to fulfill his will by ordering your life in harmony with these principles? That would seem to indicate that you are understanding or agreeing to adhere to the governance and doctrine of the church. Um, again, that language, um, do you know and understand the fundamental Bible principles? So here's the question. What exactly are these fundamental Bible <laughs> principles that are taught by the Seventh-day Adventist church? Are, is that the 28 fundamental beliefs or is that something different? Is that women's dresses must below fall uh, uh, six inches from the ground? Is that a fundamental Bible principle? Is um, vegetarianism or veganism, is that a fundamental Bible principle as taught by the Seventh-day Adventist church? Um, what are these fundamental Bible principles and what are the ramifications for persons who choose not to live in harmony with these principles? Easy question. How much? How much time you got, man? <laughs> how much time? It's a whole another. It, it is an easy question. It is an easy question. Oh, okay. <laughs> let, let me read to you. Let me read to you the first three lines of the fundamental beliefs. Seventh Day Adventists accept the Bible as their only creed and hold certain fundamental beliefs to be the teachings of the Holy Scriptures. These beliefs, as set forth here, that is the twenty-eight fundamentals constitute the church's understanding and expression of the teachings of scripture period that's it so it would be and as then simple as to change the wording in that vow from fundamental bible principles to fundamental bible fundamental beliefs with that that would add some for somebody like me that would add some clarity because when oh. you say, when you contrast, here's the 28, there's specifically 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But when you just throw out fundamental Bible principles, that's, that's fuzzy. That's, that's the whole lot of, that's the, the what, what did you mention oh. earlier, um, Christian? You mentioned something about uh, cosmetics and about, is that, oh. that jewelry? Is that coffee and tea? And it, it, th those are... For, for I grew up, those were fundamental Bible principles that the Seventh-day Adventist Church taught. Um, so that's some, some clarity oh, there. Wow. Chris? So, so, so based on what Carnick shared about the process, sounds like you need to write a letter and, 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 and put a line through principles <laughs> and put beliefs. Beliefs. Because I think, I think Carnick, <laughs> Carnick read it. It was really clear when he read it. But as I look at the question now, at number 11, it, it, it could appear fuzzy because my principles may be different to your principles and we're both good seven day Adventists, you know, but the beliefs are, are spelled out a little bit more clearly. I don't know if that helps uh, answer the question. Now, now I would say this real quick and I'll give it back to Karnick. Um, I think we are at a disadvantage when we, when we have vows that are our vows versus the biblical repent and be baptized 
any one of you for the remission of your sins. So, so we, we, we actually bring people into membership through baptism, whereas people can become members of the body of Christ through baptism and we're never a member of the Adventist church. Right. I don't, I, I hope I didn't lose any. So, so, so when you're baptized, when the, the biblical definition of baptism, baptizo, you know, to be submerged, to so just to, to go under, uh, and then Paul Romans five explains or Romans six, what baptism really is a, a dying, you know, a, a death, a burial, a resurrection with Christ that has nothing to do with the with number 11. You see what I'm saying? Mm. Now it could be connected to, because we, are hoping that they become members of our church when they're baptized. But I think that that is a whole, and that's what I asked. Yeah. How much time do you have? Right. Because baptism into Christ is baptism into Christ, baptism and becoming a member of the seven day Adventist church where you're voted subject to your baptism. That is where number 11 and the other 13 or the three uh, comes into play. So I know, I, um, Karnak, I know you want to speak on this, but I just want to add something in there. So should we just baptize people who believe in Jesus, the biblical way, and then teach them all things? I'm going to let Karnak answer. I'm going to let Karnak answer. I'll come back to me. I was going to say, that's a theological thing. That's not in my Listen, if, 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 I, if I had the money and I were to be a member of a golf and country club, in order to be accepted into membership, I would be given a list of do's and don'ts. I would be given a list of here's what's required. You want to be a member? Here's what we expect of you. This is how we expect you to behave. This is what we expect you to do. These are the rules that you have to follow. I don't think the church is any different. Our our issues, our concerns, our rules are theologically based. Do you want to be a Seventh-day Adventist? Here are the rules you have to follow. Here are the, here are the fundamental beliefs that you agree to subscribe to. If not, there are other choices out there, but if you're going to be a Seventh-day Adventist, here are the beliefs that we have and hold dear, and this is what we expect you to follow. And, and I think there's a, there's a way to do both. There's a way to do both. So, so, so I know that there have been people who I've baptized who were in love with Jesus, and they came on the last one guy came on the last, the Friday night, and we were having baptism on the Sabbath. It put a tent up. This is back way back in the day, 2003, uh, when we actually put tents up. Um, and, and became a strong, faithful, he believed everything. Uh, Karnik, uh, you talked about the beliefs. He was, he, was, he was in love with Christ and followed. Every, I, I didn't have any issue um, with his lifestyle, uh, et cetera. Um, because there was a discipleship connection and he didn't mm-hmm. come to the, to the first part of the, of the meeting. Now there are some people who, you know, they, they need to have the nitty gritty. They want to know everything before they, 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 they come in. Um, whereas there are others who really want to serve God. And because of their sincerity, whatever you show them in the word, not just in the manual, in, in the word, which is what the manual is 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 primarily based on. Um, then 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 there's no there's no issue. But I think again, you know, if if someone is wanting to be a member, whether it be profession of faith or or baptism, 
you know, these are what we believe you need to know, you know, what you're jumping into. Whereas there are others who are like, man, I know that the Sabbath is the seventh day. I don't understand everything else, you know, and I could use my wife as an example who was baptized, you know, into the church back in New York, Brooklyn, you know, and she didn't understand this Ellen White person. Like, who is that? I don't see Ellen White <laughs> in the Bible. I understand the spirit of prophecy, you know, but, you know, she got baptized, became a faithful member and, you know, had no issue, you know, after learning more about the role of the spirit of prophecy. Um, and so, you know, hopefully you find people who are, you know, sold out, you know, for, for Christ. But I think we have to be careful um, in the, what we call the um, indoctrination process, where we teach them so much of the beliefs and we don't have Christ in there. Um, or Christ is an afterthought because they can know all the beliefs, but if they're not converted, they, they're going <laughs> to they cause you a lot of problems, you know, mm. uh, on the other side of that baptism. Wow. Wow. Listen, that, that, that does, I mean, I just saw um, one of our viewers talked about the fact that today's program, we are, we are uncovering a lot of things. There are folks in there talking about, we need to do this. We need to do more. We need to have session two. Um, and, and I, I'll talk to my host to see, see where we will go with this. But as we, as, as we listen here, I mean, as you were talking about that fundamental, um, not fundamental, the, the baptism of vow number 11, I have to be honest with you, when I first, um, you know, it was shared with me or I, I first heard that, hey, all you need to do is say number 11. And once they say yes to number 11, they practically say yes to all the, uh, the other. <laughs> all the others. And I, I thought that was a little tough for me to, to swallow as a pastor in terms of my learning. But it, it you know, there, there are these, you know, you're hearing these different ways of interpreting um, how to connect them. And, and, you know, the bottom line for what we're sharing today is about um, members' rights. And so, mm -hmm. as you know, sometimes if we take these shortcuts... Uh, do they do they really have the full rights? You know, when they get to you know the right hand, the right hand of fellowship, do they really have the full rights, or are we doing our members a disservice by not really sitting down and sharing um, the intricacies of some of these things? Uh, because yeah, I, there are members out there that have no clue. Yeah, I, I think it's important. I'm, 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 I guess I'm partially old school. Uh, every now and then you have the exceptions, you know, so if we hooping and we're hollering and man, we preaching our heart out and somebody wants to go in the water, I mean, the water's going to be good, you know, but I think for the most part, we like, we, I, I believe in Bible study. You know, I worked as a Bible worker uh, with my good friend, Pastor Eitner. Before I got an official call, I knew that God was calling me. You know, I was his Bible worker. I was his quiz man. I was his musician. I mean, um, and I enjoyed it because I'm, I'm a little bit of an intellect. I like going into the word and, and finding out why does God want me to do this? Why is love and obedience so important to God? That's his love language. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's not my words. That's his. Those are his words. His love language is obedience. You know, and I think that when... You know, I've enjoyed having, and, and you see the light going on, you know, uh, I, I enjoy that. Um, and I think that you are safer. Uh, Pastor Roger, you said it, man. People need to know, and Karnak mentioned it too, what they're getting into. Um, only, and, and then there are a few times when they're just believing 
and and you you're going to you know you're not going to deny them the water. I think Ellen White talks about that even with children. She says you don't you don't 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 prevent people from being baptized. You know who who desire um, to give their heart to Christ, and they can grow if it's sincere. Um, but we just we just have to be willing to let people know. You know here's here's what we believe, and here's why we believe. You know what we believe, and and what I love about the manual uh, that if you look. Uh, at the vow alternative, I think because of these conversations, the, the 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 church thought it would be well to have the three part or the three vow alternative. And in number two, it actually says the statement, uh, Pastor Paul statement, do you accept the teachings of the Bible as expressed in the statement of fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist mm-hmm. Church? And do you pledge by God's grace? So I think in those one, two, and three, you know, that really solidifies that, hey, if you don't feel like you want to go through, because I think that you can really um, get into some, it's more of a membership thing yeah. than a salvific thing. And I'm care- I want to be careful how I say that. Sure. Yeah. I would so, take a while just, guess to say that about 70 to 80 percent of our, our, our membership don't even know that there are alternative vows. Probably clues right. really? to that fact. That would be my guess. I might be way oh, off, wow. but I'm guessing. Wow. Listen, I'm just thinking about the person that comes to our church and says, listen, I just thought that this is a, a Bible teaching church. I just want to get baptized, man. <laughs> but hold up. Take him to the water. I'm baptizing you now. Take him to the water. Take him to the water. I'm baptizing you now. Listen, looking at these principles within our church, though, and, and and I think we have a you know a strong church you know the worldwide influence I mean it's, it's a powerful church when you look at this church manual too I just want to go back to that do you feel like we need like a major u-haul uh, or just a renovation of of the church manual just to get to the basics or should we keep the language in there that deals with the cosmetics and the music and all that i mean this church is i mean it, it has changed since 1932 and i know we make some changes uh throughout the years every five years you know we come and we discuss uh, some different things, but I, I, do you think it's a time to make a like a major renovation, or should we just continue to go as we're going now? You know, a suggestion here. Suggest- I mean, we don't even. I guess the average member, uh, and I just let's be transparent. I, I guess I don't even know the changes that are recommended at the that's going to come at the general conference until maybe. Maybe when you get there, you know, they'll talk about it. Because because I well, have seen pastors in the pool make up their own vows. No lie. I'm just saying. They just, just, they, they just made them up. <laughs> just made up some vows. They were close. They well, were listen, in the, back, the heart of it, but it, made them up. Back, back to Dr. Henry's question. <laughs> As one that sits on the church manual committee uh, and have now for the last 12 years, I concur with you that the church manual needs to be a living document. It is not something that we vote and stick on the shelf. And unfortunately, we've come to the place where the church, there are some things in the church manual that are, are, are no longer relevant. And we really need to have a, a revisit of the church manual to make it relevant so that people, pastors, will actually use it instead of put it on their shelf and not even know it exists. Um, the problem comes up. <laughs> I did say pastors say because they're the ones pastors. that lead the congregations. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the, the problem comes up 
because when you go to a general conference session, and those of you that have been there know what I'm talking about, the majority of the discussion that takes place at any general conference session is on amendments to the church manual. And these are amendments. Can you imagine if we came with a brand new 150-page book for people to look at? Um, I think it's something that has to be done. And I really wish our, our, our church administrators would take it seriously and commission a group to rewrite the church manual from a pastoral perspective because it's pastors that are the ones that are in daily use of the church manual. It is the what guides them. And it has to be relevant to them so that it's not sitting on the shelf. And if it's relevant to them, they're going to look at it. They're going to use it. Their congregations are going to use it and they're going to rely on it. So I fully agree. Oh. We have to rewrite that church wow. manual. We oh, just heard that. One more question. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you want to yeah, yeah, yeah. ask one more question. No, 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 you heard it, y'all. This this is my upline. This is Connick wow. Dukmetian. I'm gonna say his full, his whole name, Dukmetian. <laughs> Listen, if if he says there's a need, y'all, there's got to be a need. Because this, right. this this I'm gonna this, go with that. Yeah, if he says now, if I said it, y'all can just throw it out because I say a lot of stuff. You know, <laughs> but but wow. But, but if if Karnick says not just a amendment after amendment after amendment. If there needs to be an overhaul that makes it a living, working document for the pastor. Because, I, again, at the conference level, the red book, I mean, my dad told me, you know, my dad's a former, you know, conference administrator, secretary, president, whatever. He said that red book, and for them it was the, he's an inter-American division. I don't know what color is an IAD, but an NAD is red. He said you got to know that book, you know. And so at the conference level, that's something that governs how we 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 administrate, how, how how we guide our conference. But the manual for the pastor, if Cardick says, I don't want to, he didn't say throw it in the trash. I'll, I'll use that term <laughs> and and get a new one, get a new one, Re, rewrite it, burn it down. He said, tear it up. Change, he said, you know, because because I and I'll tell you, look look. So so I didn't even bring up so this stuff when when when, when you guys invited me, I started going through some of the ministries and some of the stuff about radio and television, nothing to hear about the internet, nothing to hear about social media. You know, I'm like, boy, I tell you, we are dated. <laughs> we are dated. You know, so anyway, I'm just, I'm just following Karnick's leadership. Couple, couple, <laughs> two questions and I'm just going to throw it out there and, and y'all take the next question. The first one is, how hard is it though to make major changes in the church from the inside? You know, from the inside, how hard is it to make major changes from the church within the system? You You're know, about the, the um, local church, the local church. I'm talking about this. Let's take, for example, the church manual, the okay. church manual. Uh, you know, I've heard it in class as well that, you know, we do need to really, you know, just do something totally different. But isn't it hard to make changes within the Adventist church as a local member, even as a pastor? I mean, most of the times within this church, the way I see, and I could be wrong, is that major changes come from top down instead of from bottom up. And using the bottom up model um, of the the mindset of the normal member, because, you know, the, the, the teachers would say, well, really, you know, <laughs> it's the other way around, right? <laughs> 
But so, well, let me let me yeah, give you an example, Dion. The chronic cyber school class, and you you're good. That's yeah. <laughs> let, let me give you an example. At the 1996 annual council that was held in Manila, a pastor got up. A pastor who was a member of the executive committee of the general conference got up and made a motion that the church manual be rewritten. That was his motion. By 2005, a, a group had been put together, but and, and they rewrote the, the manual. In, in the early days, when, when they made amendments to the manual, they would pick sections, they would change here, they would change there. And you know, when you, when you amend a book by committee and make changes here and there, it starts to get disconnected. And that's what had happened to the church manual. So in 2005, there was a rewrite, but it was really moving sections from one place to another to make it flow better. That didn't rewrite the manual, it just changed locations. But again, that started by a pastor saying, we think the manual should be rewritten. I think that's what it, that's the impetus that it needs for this to happen. There has to be some impetus from the ground floor. It's one thing to have it at the general conference. It's another thing for something to happen as a groundswell. And I think that's where it has to start. Yeah. One of my mentors shared with me right. that you do not need permission to do ministry. I think too many of our members feel that we got to wait and see if leadership is going to allow us to do ministry or or to to be effective in mission, and uh -huh. I and I think that has spilled over into even how we exercise our rights as members. Yes. We come we're on for mission to be a member of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Listen, man, and and that's my thank you, thank you, Roger, and that's that was my pushback to Dr. Dion. You will never beat the grassroots. So I was watching this show, this program, and you had churches that were killing the game. Y'all remember that? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and there was a church in Florida, um, mm -hmm. a Hispanic uh, church. Oh, I forgot the name yeah. of the pastor. Um, oh. And then you had, you had Linwood uh, as well on there. Pastor Ida was talking about some of the stuff that they're doing in the community, whatever. You, you will never, the, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world not by those of us who, who may be writing a check to the pastor, but by all of us working at the grassroots level. He was talking about how people were flying in to be baptized because when somebody comes to Miami, they can bring them to the church and, you know, they can feed them. And, uh, and he had all these uh, feeding like a thousand people a week. I can't remember all of the details, but it was just amazing. And, and their churches, you know, so for me, the grassroots, if, if people know, listen, you can, and, and what I tell my pastors when they call me, if they should do this, they don't see it in the manual. I says, you know, is it, is it against the word? Does it violate the commandments? Um, is the spirit moving the entire body? You know, uh, so you're moving together, you know, and, and if they're, whether it be feeding people in the parking lot or going into people's homes or, you know, whatever it is, you know, meeting with the chief, the chief of police in certain uh, areas. And some people now are meeting with the city councils on Black Lives Matter, whatever it is, you will never beat the grassroots type movement. And I think that's something that Barack Obama taught us. You know, because he was not an establishment person, even though he had support from the establishment. And this is kind of going into the political realm. But I'm just talking about actually getting the job done. Um, if you make a difference in your local community, you literally can help us rewrite the manual. So there are certain things that are not that may not be in the manual as yet. There are certain ministries 
I look at First Church and how they impact their local community, helping people fix their cars and teaching their 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 boys and their girls to do different things. You know, he well, I, I didn't go with the blackout um, thing because I'm an NFL. I'm, I'm I'm watching football. I didn't I didn't blackout. I just be honest, I didn't blackout. But you know, there's some phenomenal things that I think that local churches are doing, um, and I would I would not want to take that away uh, from the local church. But I think that if we follow what Karnick said and and use the rewrite the manual that allows for for major impact ministries to take place. Then you still need your processes, you still need your ministries, you still need your church election, you still need your fundamentals. There's some basic things that still need to be there because that's who we are. But then it can literally kind of we can kind of fall back and let the local church um, just just finish the work, man. Because I'm ready to go home. So, so whatever y'all, whatever y'all need me to do to finish the work, I'm in it. <laughs> all right, all right. I love it. I'm looking wow. at the time. I know the time is yeah. running, but we yeah. have another monster question. I don't know, oh, guys. I, I, I don't know how monster do. it is. I think we, I think we have kind of talked a little bit about it, but it's simply mm. this: Where do state or civil rights overlap church member rights on issues like? non-discrimination laws or equal opportunity employment and even LGBTQ plus concerns. It, 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 where do they, do they overlap or is there a, a strong a strong separation? Um, as a member, I'm sitting in the pew and I would, you know, something happens and I say, hey, I have a right, but it might be more hmm. civil right as opposed to a church right. Hmm. It, it, or is there an overlap? Is there uh, a separation between two? I mean, share with us. I think it's a monster. That's a monster. That's a monster. I think as we, I think as we said earlier, you know, the courts give a lot of deference to religious organizations. They do not want to insert themselves in issues of uh, religious freedom. That's the First Amendment. That's the protection that is afforded to us by the Constitution. So we do have quite a bit of leeway in how we operate as a denomination. Uh, you, know, you raise the issue of uh, LGBT uh, rights. Well, you know, as, as, a, as a denomination, do I have the right to say I'm not going to hire anyone? Well, what does the church say regarding this issue? Does the church block someone from being a member? Our issue is membership. Can an LGBT person be a member of the Seventh Day Adventist Church? Uh, you know, you, you read, you read what uh, you read what it says, and what it says is, as long as they're not practicing or advocating, they can be members. Uh, membership has its rights and privileges, um, but the the right we have is also protected by uh, by the Constitution. We can discriminate in hiring on that basis because that's our our theological belief. That's our, that's our ecclesiastical belief. And so we can, yes, we can discriminate. There are other grounds, obviously, that we cannot discriminate on. We can't discriminate on the basis of race. We can't discriminate on the basis of age. So there, there are some things that we can do, and there are some things that we can't do. Right, right. And I, I hope you guys caught the difference. One that Harney talked about was membership, and then he talked about employment. So in the um, I also serve as the Public Affairs and Religious Liberty Director for, for Central States. Uh, and I know the Equality Act 
was an act that could have affected our employment. Uh, but I, th I think it did not pass. I think that it passed the House chronic and it didn't pass the Senate. It has not okay. passed the Senate yet. It has not passed the Senate. I think most of us don't believe that it will. Um, but there's a there's a there's a there's a other uh, legislation that that our North American Division, um, Pearl leadership, um, and attorneys do support, that, which is the Fairness for All Act, which I support, um, and I've shared it with some of our pastors here, um, that it will protect us. As Karnick said, it will protect our First Amendment rights as a denomination um, when it comes to employment. Um, whereas the Equality Act seems like it may trample on that. And so I may not agree in all things political with, with the right, but on this, <laughs> on this, I certainly agree because I think it's important for us to have, to have our freedoms, to have our religious freedoms protected. Not that we are, are trying to be hurtful to anyone, but you know, the, the, the general conference statement um, is clear. Um, on 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 marriage that we believe in between a between a biblical uh, marriage between a man and a woman and so uh, I don't see that moving uh, anywhere but I think uh, the the document I think the North American Division uh, brought or or composed a document to help us uh, in dealing with members of the LGBTQ um, plus. Uh, community where they can be welcomed, we can love on them, um, and they can be a part of us. Um, and and um, and we just have to learn uh, to be kind, man. You know, sometimes we we put people in these boxes, and and we we preach it all the time. All we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, but we can't be practicing sin uh, and ex and, ex right. and expect for it to not have you know some kind of even if you're heterosexual. Um, if you just, you know, just wilding, <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you, you're not, you're going to be held accountable. You're going to be held accountable. Um, and we and, just have and, to be and, consistent. And that's, and that's the point. I think your, your last words were right on. We've got to be consistent. We can't yes. pick on one side or the other because it's the soup du jour. You know, this is not the issue of the day. And so we're right. picking on it. We have to be consistent and you're right on whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, doesn't matter. Yeah. We have to be consistent in how we deal with those individuals. Karnik, can you give us a precise legal definition for the term uh, Christian use, wilding? Is that... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we, we're going to have to do a part two to this. I, I don't know. I, hey. So many questions coming in the I'm chat. A, I'm, a man, I'm a man of the people, Doc. I'm a man of, I'm a man of the... And, you know, and my wife told me, my wife told me today, she said, Carter, go beyond, don't use any slang. I just violated that. My bad. Sorry, hon. Listen, we got we to do a part two. We just have to do a part two. So many other questions are coming regarding the policy. Um, does every pastor, you know, does he have the right or she have the right to the policy book of the North American Division? Or is that it? I mean, there's so many things that, that um, we would love to ask. I, but hey, this has been a great show. <laughs> it's been a great show. And um, I just want to thank our guests for coming on. I don't know, do we have time for one question, you all? Or are we? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Let's give them that last one. Okay, so look, we'll just say one thing, all right? One thing. <laughs> so, important thing <laughs> members should know about their rights within the Seventh day Adventist Church. The one most important thing that a member should know about their rights within the Seventh day Adventist Church.
We'll start with uh, How much Kristen. Or... Oh, man. Karnik, you, guys, you go ahead. I'll let him go for it. No, I was going to say, how much time do you have? I mean, there really isn't, uh, you know, can we just pick one thing? I don't know. It's uh, a... <laughs> well, well, be, be, be involved. I, I would say be involved in your in your local church. Be involved in your uh, in, in the business and in the ministry of your local church. Mm. Yes. I, my one thing would be your voice can make a difference. Um, at the at the, the local church level, you know, when there's a business meeting, um, or let's say you even vote in membership, you know, you have a first reading, uh, and you have a concern about that deacon because he looks at you kind of funny, or you suspect something, you have a right as a member, the privilege to meet with that nominated committee and say, here's, or maybe something happened to you, you know, untoward, or you know, you have a right. You know, they don't have to real matter of fact, that right exists even at the conference level. So when the nominating committee meets at the local conference session um, and they open up on that Saturday night or whatever the day before and they say, if you have a concern, that nominated report is just the first reading, you know, and that's something I think some of our members need to be aware of. I can go and speak before that committee and you don't know what that committee is going to do after you make your voice heard. So let your voice be heard. That would be my my counsel. Let your voice be heard. Love it. Amen. That's Love good it. stuff. One of the comments we've seen over and over is that our members need to be more more educated about this stuff. And we just want to thank you, gentlemen, yeah. because you have helped us to do a little bit of that today and move in that direction, um, what you have shared today. So thank you again so very much for your contribution. We wish we had some more time. Um, and I'm seeing all over the place, follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. Can we do a follow-up? Um, we would love to have you gentlemen back with us here at the Roundtable um, to right. be able to do a follow-up. We'll have to put our heads together and see if uh, we can make something like that happen. 